Today's scripture lesson comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. I love fiction. I love getting totally swept up into the story, captivated by the characters. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I found it almost impossible to read fiction. Even new novels by some of my favorite authors just didn't grab me. And then I read The Murmur of Bees by Sophia Segovia. Suddenly, I was able to get lost in the story again. It's a, it's a historical novel that is both simple and playful, while at the same time mystical. Set in Mexico, the novel traces the life of one family as they flee the horrors of disease and death that plague their town during the 1918 pandemic. Before anyone realizes what is happening, death swoops in and begins to rob family after family of mothers and fathers and children. The townspeople are so frightened of this flu that they cease having funerals for fear that more will catch the deadly disease at the church service or at the graveside service. And so they simply carry their deceased family members out in front of the home and place them there and wait until the undertaker will stop by with a wooden cart and carry their beloved family member off to the cemetery for burial. One day, the undertaker finds that the teenage boy he is just about to bury is actually moving. When the priest in the town finds out that this boy who was dead is now alive, he sends a telegram to the archbishop, miracle, happened. Come urgently. The priest and the doctor rush to check on the boy, and the boy explains that he was just too sick to move when he was laying outside of the house, and then when he woke up in the cemetery, he realized he was just too sick to get up and walk home, but actually, he never died. Well, the priest is devastated. Suddenly, he sends another telegram to the archbishop. Never died. Never resurrected. Just recovered by himself. And then he writes, forgive me. The embarrassed priest feels like this is the worst day of his life. But the doctor steps in and tries to reassure the priest, telling him it's actually the best possible miracle because now for the first time, they realize that you can suffer from this new influenza 
and survive. Today's scripture from John describes life. What is life? It reads, for God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. But sometimes you and I read this like the priest read the miracle in the novel. We think that the only thing that matters is what happens after we die. But in so doing, we might miss the real miracle. How might the fullness of life be available to all of us now before we die? One of the reasons we miss this miracle is because we zoom in on this one verse so closely. But if we pull the focus back and we get the wide angle view of this famous verse, a fuller picture emerges. Jesus and a man named Nicodemus, they're having a a conversation. Nicodemus comes by night to ask Jesus, who is the light of the world, a question. He wants to know how to be born again, how to be born from above, how to experience a spiritual rebirth. And Jesus tells him, God so loved the world. God already gave you the fullness of God's love. God did not send me to condemn you, but to offer you the very gift of life. This word life or eternal life repeats 30 times throughout John's gospel. Sometimes it does refer to life after death, an extension of this life, but more often it refers to the life we have access to on this side of the grave. The gospel of John sees what the doctor sees in that novel when the boy had the flu and then he lived. A whole new realm of living is possible. Nicodemus is trying to figure out the one, two, three steps to the spiritual life, but Jesus tells him, God has already issued the invitation. I remember remember many years ago, I was with a group from our church on a trip to Guatemala. We were building a Habitat for Humanity home in one of those villages with no running water and no electricity, and our, our group was having a an extremely profound experience. All of us were stunned by the poverty. We were stunned by the fact that pigs were running through the kitchen at night. And we were shocked by how hard the women would work, getting up before the sun rose to wash the dishes at the well and patting tortillas late into the night, preparing breakfast for the family the next morning. One day we took a break from the village and we wandered off to the beach and I was walking along the beach with one of the young women from our church who was on the trip. She was in her 20s and she was new to Christianity, new to the church. She was saying to me on the beach how when we got back to Kansas City, life was going to be different for her. She had decided on this trip that she was ready to give herself fully over to her faith. She was eager to serve, and and I was so excited, and so I told her, well, you know, we've got some 
events and some classes, some service projects. They're really for people in your age group, in the 20s and 30s age group. They happen every week at the church on one particular weeknight. And she said, oh, that sounds so good. I, I can't wait. Oh, wait, did you say during the week? I don't know about that, she said. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can go to church two times a week. And we all chuckled. Sometimes we, we say we believe, but do we want to trust our whole lives into God's keeping? Maybe not. If you've ever read the spiritual memoir of Anne Lamont, you may remember how she also resisted saying yes to God. She, she didn't grow up with parents who practiced Christianity, and as a young adult, she became an addict, and as she began to slowly emerge from her life of addiction, she reached out to the faith. She began going to church, and when she described the moment when she finally confessed her faith, she said, finally, I just said to God one day something like, oh, what the heck, God, come on in. Although I grew up in a household that worshiped every Sunday at our local church, I still find that there are days when I have to decide, will I give my life over to Christ or not? I have to get up most mornings and decide again whether I will sit down and pray, light a candle, meditate, and some days, the answer is no. Some days, I refuse to listen again for God's spirit in the depths of my soul and in the world around me. Some days, God and I socially distance. God invites, but God leaves it up to us as to whether we choose to receive the love God offers. The Gospel of John describes it like this. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I really like the way Eugene Peterson translates that same verse in the message. He says, God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. At first, this verse made me squirm. Why would anyone run for the darkness? Can we really reject the light that God offers? But then I stopped to remember how often we choose to nurture our resentments rather than to seek reconciliation with a friend. Some days it seems easier to buy myself something new rather than to figure out a way to invest in empowering the poor. Some of us cling to our addictions rather than to seek professional help from a psychologist or step foot into AA. I remember last summer when our city was responding nightly with protests to the racial violence throughout our country. There were some local churches who organized a night of prayer on Troost, which is the historic black-white dividing line in our city. I heard about it, but I was uneasy about going. I'm, I'm actually not the protest type. I'm not even the pray outside on the front steps kind of girl. I, I just didn't see myself doing that. And I was suspicious. I didn't know who was behind this 
prayer vigil, so I was reluctant. But eventually, I talked to some friends, and I decided I would go along. And I went with eight other friends and family members, some of us black, some of us white. And when we arrived there on Troost and took our place in the prayer line, there was a man next to us. I had never met him. And he reached out. And he offered friendship. He introduced me to his son and to his wife. And and he said, could we pray together? It was an unsolicited act of grace from a kind and gentle black man I had never met. And at that moment, I was so elated that I had risked that moment and surrendered to the invitation. As we got in our car to drive home, we turned and we drove all the way down Troost where thousands of black and white and brown and old and young were all lined in the streets praying together. And the sun was setting, but it seemed like God's light was dawning in our city. John's gospel says we are invited to come to the light. John invites us to receive the love God offers, to place our trust in God's abundant love, to give ourselves over into God's keeping completely and fully. Come to the light. It's more of a surrender than a choice. It's a movement of trust towards the one who loved the world by giving us Jesus in the flesh. As biblical scholar Sandra Schneiders puts it, Jesus is an invitation to accept the unreserved divine love, to respond in love, and thus to create a shared life with God. God, says Jesus, desires intimate friendship with us. The choice we have to make is whether we will receive that friendship. Will we trust in that God? Will we give our lives over into that holy relationship? After Jesus and Nicodemus visit, Nicodemus kind of fades from the story. And we're not quite sure what happens to him. He does appear briefly a few chapters later in John as the authorities are questioning Jesus. And here Nicodemus seems to ride the fence. He's not quite with Jesus, but he's not quite against him either. But he surfaces again near the end of the gospel. Here he comes to anoint Jesus's body for burial. And I wonder, I wonder if that means that eventually he did choose to accept God's invitation. We cannot keep God from loving us. We cannot prevent God from saving us. But we can decide if we will receive and trust in that love each day. Here's a story of how one man faced a choice. Dr. Jay Wellens is a pediatric neurosurgeon. He shared his story in the New York Times a little over a year ago. When he was a young doctor in Alabama, Dr. Wellens got a page about a nine-year-old girl who had been in a car accident about 100 miles away. She had a severe brain injury and needed immediate surgery. The ER doctor in the neighboring town didn't have the ability to tackle the surgery, 
Dr. Wellens was annoyed on the telephone. Why don't you already have her in the air? The ER doctor explained that the weather was too bad and the helicopters couldn't fly. It would take too long to transport her by ambulance. She wouldn't survive if they moved her by ground. Dr. Wellens took a deep breath. He had to make a choice. And then he said, are those Black Hawk helicopters still stationed at the base near you? You know those guys will fly in anything. Suddenly things were set in motion. Dr. Wellens prepared the operating room, the ER doctor called the Black Hawks, and 30 minutes later, the nine-year-old girl arrived. The doctor performed the surgery. It was pretty straightforward. And the girl lived with only minor complications. Over the years, he followed her case. He read about how she won a beauty and talent competition. She graduated from high school. She went off to graduate school, and he always enjoyed getting those Christmas cards, either from his former patient or from her parents who would update him about her growth and progress. And then one day, he received an invitation, a handwritten invitation to her wedding. And his mind flashed back to that nine-year-old girl on the table. And he realized in that moment how often she had inspired him to make the right choice as a doctor. And he said, all of us need a living, breathing reminder just to keep pushing on. For Christians, our living, breathing reminder is Jesus. In him, we see that God so loves us. Will we receive that love? Will we come to the light?